your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 2. And if you're our guest this morning, we have our sermon outlines in the bulletin as well as the scripture passage that we will be following. This is a long passage for this tiny book uh, that we're looking at today. Hear now the word of God from 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So far the reading of God's word. Harold Camping is right. There's his picture. Harold Camping is right. Jesus is coming again. And the Apostle John in our text says this is the last hour. So Jesus must be coming soon. Harold Camping is wrong. Harold Camping is so wrong. He is, sadly, wreaking great havoc in the world and doing enormous damage to the reputation of Jesus Christ and to the church of Jesus Christ. He is wrong, for he has no idea when the Lord will come again. How do I know that? How do I know with confidence that he's wrong? Because our Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples one day, and he said to them in Mark 13, verses 32 through 37, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert, You do not know when that time will come. 
It's like a man going away. He will put his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Keep watch. (laughs) He's right. Jesus is coming again. He is oh so wrong. When he claims to know the day or the hour, for not the angels in heaven or the sun or anyone else knows. Now, I did a little bait and switch because I did say when we send out the e-bullet this week that I was going to speak to the issue of Harold Camping, and I've already done that. I'll take a few more minutes to tell you what he thinks about the last hour and why he's wrong But then I think it's even more important for us to hear what the Bible says in the book of 1 John about the last hour, and so we will pay close attention to the scriptures here. But basically, basically, uh, Camping, who owns 41 radio stations around the world in every major metropolitan uh, city, uh, I'm sorry, around America, 41 around America, and many overseas broadcasting spots Um, And I know because I used to have a daily feature on the family radio network. I spoke to over a million people a day for five years. It was called New Life for the Family with Dr. John Yenchko. And to buy airtime on 41 stations and to, to speak worldwide would normally cost millions of dollars to do it. I got to do it for free every day. And then Harold Camping started to teach about the end of the world and that he knew the date when it was coming and that people should leave their churches and just listen to him on the radio. And he told me to stop teaching about the blessings of the church, which, of course, I refused to do. And so I had to withdraw from my broadcasts on family radio. And they said, oh, can we rebroadcast what you used to do, Dr. Yenchko? And I said, no, you cannot. I can't have my name associated with something as nutty as this. He says it's the last hour. Now, here's what he's done. He has gotten so many people up in a lather because he has discovered certain hidden meanings in certain texts. From the absurd to things like how many swine, you know, ran into the lake and drowned in Galilee, and that number tells us a lot in the calculation of the last day. Uh, but but uh, probably the one that people listen to the most is this idea that way back in Genesis chapter 7, as the ark was built because the flood was coming, God said to Noah, you and your family get into the ark, and in seven days I will bring destruction on the earth, and the flood will come. And lo and behold, seven days later, the Lord closed the door of the ark with his finger, and the rains came on the 17th day of the second month, however they calculated that in the ancient world thousands of years ago. Then you fast forward to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter says, 
Uh, he says judgment is coming. There will be a great judgment day at the end of the earth, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be. And he says, for a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So Peter's reasoning back from Genesis 7, isn't he, Harold Camping says. And since a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day, and God warned that in seven days he was going to destroy the earth by the flood, we have to believe then that that teaches us clearly that 7,000 years to the date from the day that he closed the door of that ark, uh, the f- end of the world will come. And uh, I guess if you somehow he figured out that it was 4,990 years um, BC, and then you added a 2,011 years, and you subtract one because when you go from BC to AD, that's one. Off and so it's 2011, and he's done all these calculations. And you know, and I know, that the clear reading of the text today is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day is not some secret meaning about how to interpret Genesis 7:14. It's simply saying clearly that God is not governed by the dimension of time as we are, and God is not bound by the dimension of time as we are. God created time, but He is outside of time. That's simply what it's teaching. And there's not some hidden meaning in there, let alone the absurdity of calculating these dates. And yet, did you see in the newspaper, this poor guy on Staten Island, he emptied out his IRA, took his whole $141,000 of life savings to buy placards on the subways and at the bus stops to tell people the world is ending next Saturday. Crazy. I feel so sad for this guy. The church has always had predators. There have always been predators on the church. And these predators will lead people to abandon their, their churches and to say, come follow me because I alone have the secret truth. Whether it was William Miller or William Taze Russell uh, or whether it's the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Adventists and, and they set the date and then the day came and passed and they set another date and the that day came and passed and so it will and, and, you know, wouldn't it be cool if Jesus comes this Wednesday? I just think that would be really cool. He might come this Wednesday. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think that would be great. Or maybe next Monday. And uh, my flesh, I really hope it's not Saturday. <laughs> he is coming again. It is the last hour. But it has also been the last hour, according to the Apostle John, for over 2,000 years. Because he wrote, this is the last hour. And there have always been opponents of Christ. And what we learn from the New Testament is there there were then and there are now opponents of Christ already working. And in the very passage we're looking at, There are opponents of Christ yet to happen, yet to arise in a climactic way. And you see both of them in our texts. And I just thought I'd put this up here for you because I don't talk about these things very much. 
And so I could easily confuse you and labor with you. I think uh, many people in the churches are far too preoccupied uh, with these things, but since it's in our text, this is the last hour, I wanted you to know that Jesus says there are already antichrists, 1 John 2.18, and the three opponents of Christ in the Bible usually surface in terms of apostasy, lawlessness, and antichrists. These are the terms that surface. Where do they come from in the Bible? Well, in 1 John 2.19, there are those who go out from us. These are the apostates. Apostasy is not a word you use very often, but it is an important word. Apostasy signals those, is the term for those who leave the church of Jesus Christ and renounce the historic orthodox truth of the gospel. We would call them apostate. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, um, let, me, let me get there. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, that's, they've already be, that, that, that's what's happening, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teaching comes through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Tragically, over the years, people have turned away from the truths of God's Word and followed deceitful men. Apostasy. Abandoning the church, abandoning the gospel. And then there is lawlessness. And lawlessness is this rebellion against the Lord. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, that's the longest passage that speaks about the end times. And down in verse 7, we read, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Okay? So in the first century, already lawlessness was at work. And there's other passages like the one that I just read from Timothy. It says there's going to be these rebellious people. And then thirdly, there are antichrists who come in opposition to the, to the church of Jesus Christ and to, his, to the church's Lord, opposing to Christ. Now, where does that come from? Well, it goes all the way back to the book of Daniel. And some of you, I'm sure, have studied the book of Daniel and um, what it teaches there about the historical opposition to the Lord. And in Daniel 7, verse 25... We are told about a leader who will rise up. He will speak against the Most High and oppress His saints and try to change the set times and the laws. The saints will be handed over to Him for a time, times, and half a time. And when did this happen? When was this fulfilled? Well, uh, this is all kinds of discussion. I'm not going to read chapter 11, verse 31 and 36. But it is a picture of a time when the people of God are placed under cruel oppression and the temple of God is desecrated. You have the, uh, uh, the desolation of the temple. Well, when did that happen? Has that already happened? Well, at one level, yes, it already happened because in 186 B.C. there was this cruel king. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a cruel ruler, and he came through and crushed the Jewish people, and he went to the temple, and he stopped the sacrifices 
And he put pigs, unclean swine, on the altar. And he had them pray to Zeus and to the gods. And, and then, but, but, but wait, someone says, but didn't Jesus quote from this passage and telling people to look forward to another desolation that comes to Jerusalem? And indeed, yes, it was fulfilled again when Titus, the emperor of Rome, crushed the Jewish people in 70 A.D. And he, they brought in the flags, the great standards of the emperor of Rome and forced people to worship the emperor of Rome. And so again, and you had this abomination that causes desolation as he had the people this time pray to Zeus and to the, and to the uh, Roman gods as well. And it was, it, was, uh, it was terrible. Antichrists that set themselves up against God. Many antichrists have come. And yet, and yet, according to John, there is yet still to come an, a crescendo of opposition in the last days. So it's yet to happen in a climactic way. And uh, 1 John 2.18 tells us, uh, even you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many have come. We've already seen that they have come. But there is one still coming. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, you have this discussion of not just lawlessness that is already at work, but there will be a man of lawlessness revealed in the last time when the great apostasy occurs. Or in some of your translations, it's called the great rebellion, but it's the Greek word apostasia, apostasy. So there'll be a great turning away around the time that the great man of lawlessness is revealed. Somehow they will accelerate together. And when you take the writings of John and you take the writings of Paul, it seems like the man of lawlessness and the Antichrist are likely the same person. And so there is uh, a climactic opposition to Jesus Christ in that day. Okay? It's already here. And it's been here for 2,000 years. It was true in the first century. It's true today. And there is a climactic, op climactic opposition of Christ yet to come. As for you, we don't know the day or the hour. Mr. Camping is wrong. But as for you, what does our text tell us? It tells us what Jesus told us. There will, there will be people who will come and they will say, I am the Christ. Look over there. Look over there and follow them. And Jesus says, don't listen to them. Don't even waste your time listening to them. A rival Christ, an opponent to Christ. Verse 22, if you look down with me at verse 22, it says, Who is the liar? You want to know who is the liar? He tells us, Whoever it is who denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Listen carefully. If you have religion... And you don't have Jesus, you got nothing. All right? Sometimes we like to say, when we're witnessing, we like to say, you know, I'm not all that into religion, 
but I am into Jesus. And I think that's a good way sometimes to get the conversation started or to keep the conversation going. You can hit a home run and be on ESPN and you can hold your finger up in the air and you can talk about God all you want and the sportscaster will nod his head and smile. But what happens when the athlete says, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for his blessings on my life? The announcer goes into apoplectic shock, you know. You're free to use talk about God with a little g all you want in our culture. But not to talk about Jesus as the Lord, as the Savior. Who is it who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Well, you should know, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus is the Messiah. And when they knock on your door, you should be prepared to make the case that Jesus is the Messiah. But uh, frankly, I just urge you to be polite to them and send them on their way unless you have a unique and skilled calling. And I'll tell you, we have textual evidence for it. The textual evidence says to us, don't listen to them. It's not because you're narrow-minded, but it's because why, why poison your mind? with this. There are entire denominations that are identified by their denial of Jesus as the Christ. They are known as Unitarians. Have you ever heard the term Unitarian? Eh, we don't talk about Unitarians all that much, but Unitarians are different from Trinitarians. We are Trinitarians. That is to say, we believe there is one God made of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and we can never let that go. But a Unitarian would say, oh, yes, we believe in God the Father, period. That's about all we could know. And we say politely, respectfully, don't listen to them. Don't pollute your mind. Who else denies that Jesus is the Christ? Well, of course, the atheists do. The atheists might have begrudging respect, grudging respect for Jesus as an interesting moral teacher, but, but they will fiercely deny the very existence of God, and so by necessity they deny that He is God the Son, come in the flesh. If you get rid of Jesus, you get rid of Christianity. Don't listen to them. The second thing that antichrists do is they desert the church. Verse 19. And this is, this is, for someone like me, someone who is a pastor, this probably upsets me more than it upsets you. I don't know. But it, this is very disturbing. There are those who go out from us. That is, they apostatize. They turn away from the faith. It's not that they say, well, you know what, I, I prefer this other church. You know, may, it's true, sometimes people can legitimately move from one church to another as long as they're not just mere consumers. And, you know, but, but, but there are people who turn away. They leave the body of Christ. And they live as practical atheists. 1 John 2.19 they go out from us, and when they go out from us, they reveal something about themselves. Somebody who, 
who abandons the church and her historic Orthodox Christian truth. They go off to college and they, oh, they remember the youth group with great nostalgia. But they want nothing more to do with the church or her teachings or her discipleship. And you know what they show us? This upsets me so much. That those who went out from us were never of us. Ugh. It means we didn't do a very good job with them. <laughs> they were never of us. At least we didn't do a very good job exposing the fact that they were never of us because maybe our discipleship wasn't intense enough. I don't know. Apostasy is the joy of the Antichrist. One of the things I love about the elders of this church, oh friends, we are so blessed to have the elders of the church that we have. One of the reasons that I love them so much is that every one of them is a churchman. They're a churchman. They love our church. They are committed to our growth. They pray for us. And they sense that we are a family. We are a body. And they grieve for those who are missing and absent. And they long to see us grow in holiness and our own joy in the Lord. What about you? Are you a church woman? Are you a church man? Are you someone who says, I love thy church, O Lord, for her my tears do fall, you see. People depart morally from the church. And this is often what happens. You start to in, engage in an alternative lifestyle of, uh, where certain sin patterns become your way of being and you know you can't stay in the church and so you turn away from the church. People depart morally, people depart intellectually, people depart theologically, and then they depart physically. But as for you, remain faithful to the church, John says in 1 John 2.19. The next thing that we are told about Antichrist is they will deceive Christians. We see this in verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now this is really interesting. It's not just that there are people out there with wrong-headed theology and bad ideas. It's more diabolical than that. There are people, we are told, who are trying to lead us astray. And so John is echoing what Jesus says. Because it's not enough for you to recognize the fact that there are heretics out there. There's a word you haven't used that often, heretics. That is, people who teach falsehoods and promote the falsehoods that they teach. It's not enough just to recognize that there are heretics out there. What Jesus Christ warns is that you must recognize that they are a danger to you. They are a danger to you. Jesus says there are, in Mark 13, verse 22, there are false Christs and false prophets who will try to deceive the elect. 
So if you're a heretic and you get up in the morning and you stretch and you have your cup of coffee and you say, okay, what's on my list of things to do today? Oh, yes, here's what's on my list today. I'm going to try and deceive the elect. (laughs) I'm going to try and promote my novel ideas that lead people away from Jesus. You say, oh, there's nobody out there like that. Oh, but there are. Secular humanists. Now, let's just be honest. There is an agenda, a secular agenda that... Now, you, you, New York City had buses last Christmas uh, that said, you know, be good for goodness sake. We don't really believe in the message of Christmas. Let's get rid of Christmas. Let's get rid of Christ. And let's just be good. And it's signed, you know, your humanist society. They want goodness without Jesus, and they think Jesus is a detriment to true goodness. And so they spend their money, they do their evangelism in order to draw you away. Unitarians, atheists, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, secular humanists, those who want to promote um, religion without Jesus, and they will say, be reasonable. You're going to have school teachers, you're going to have college professors, you're going to have neighbors, and they're going to say to you, be reasonable. (laughs) You don't really believe a dead man walked out of a tomb, do you? We know that doesn't happen. They're going to say to you, be reasonable. The universe is huge. If there is a God, he doesn't really care about this speck of dust that we call the third rock from the sun. Be reasonable. You're so narrow-minded. You're so intolerant. How can you say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? That nobody comes to the Father but by him? How can you say that? And how will, you, how, how, how will you answer them? Say, well, you know, that's not a question for me. That's a question for Jesus himself. Let's see what Jesus had to say about that. And then you quote him back to them, where our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the Apostle Paul said, for there is no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved but the name of Jesus Don't let them fool you. I left the T off on my PowerPoint. Don't let them fool you. But then John concludes, and I love this. I love his optimism at the end. He says, but as for you, as for you, remain in him. Don't let it upset you. Don't let it get to you. Remain in him. Be confident in Jesus. He is the Christ. And after all, after all, my friends, you know, what, you know, Harold Camping says, you just sit by your radio and listen to me. Don't go to churches anymore. Just sit by your radio and listen to me. Or he says, or other fellowships like family radio. <laughs> no. Remain in Jesus. For Jesus said, abide in me and let my words remain in you. And that's what John tells us. Do three things, my friends. Stay in the church of God, the true church of God, verse 19, where the Bible is preached and where Jesus is exalted. 
Harold Camping says, leave the church and come listen to my broadcasts. No, stay in the church of God. Verse 24, stay in the word of God. As for you, see what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Okay, what's that message of the word of the true gospel that has been for centuries the truth? We are historic Orthodox Christians of the great Reformed tradition. We trace our theology back through Luther and Calvin, back to Augustine, back to Ignatius, back to Clement, back to the Apostle Paul, back to Jesus Christ himself, back to King Solomon, back to King David, back to Father Abraham, back to Adam himself. Stay in the Word of God. And then finally, verse 27, stay in Him. Remain in Jesus because it's all about Him. It's all about Him. Remain in Him. Will you stand with me today and will you stand with us next Sunday morning as we are here next Sunday morning unless the Lord comes tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day. Will you come and stand and stand up for Jesus? Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this passage that is a passage of warning. Next week's passage is a little more cheerful. This, this week's passage is a passage of warning. And we pray, our Father, that when apostasy comes, or when the temptation to abandon the church of Christ comes, that we would be faithful and we would remain in the church. We pray that we will remain in the Word of God, not with all kinds of nutty, uh, seeking after nutty, hidden, secret meanings, but understanding the plain meaning of the text that Jesus is Lord, that God exists, and that he's coming again in glory to judge the quick and the dead. And so until that time, will we heed our master's voice and remain in him, standing in Jesus and standing up for Jesus. We pray this in his great name. Amen. Well, let's close.